Welcome to the Checkpoint Charlie podcast. I'm your host, Charlie James. Today, we're talking about journalism. Journalism used to be considered a noble profession. Now, before I go any further, a lot of people don't consider journalism a profession. They consider it more of a trade. But I won't argue semantics here. The fact is, it used to be respected. Now, there is some evidence that the first newspaper was published in Greece around 56 B.C. However, a lot of people think it was probably more recent. In fact, John Carlos published The Relation of Strasbourg, the first, that was first printed in 1609. There was a close rival to this, the Avisa Relation oder Zeitung. Zeitung is the German word for newspaper. That was founded also in 1609 by Heinrich Julius, Duke of Brunswick, Wolfenbüttel. In America, the first newspaper appeared in 1704. John Campbell, the postmaster of Boston, he published the first issue of the Boston Newsletter, which was a single sheet printed on both sides, newsletter that made history as the first continuously published newspaper in America. And of course, we all know about Poor Richard's Almanac with Ben Franklin. Now, we all know that newspapers need journalists. They need writers. They need people to bring the news to the masses. And just like everything else throughout history, there have been good writers and bad writers. And I'm not talking about style. I'm just talking about the people themselves. There have been honest, reputable people doing the job. And there have been some dishonest, disreputable people doing the job. And that has happened a lot. In fact, in the 1920s, there was a concerted effort by the mafia to actually pay off reporters to write more, let's say, flattering stories about some of the figures that they were reporting on. Now, how did they do this? Well, in some cases, they just gave them outright money. Here's a bundle of cash. Here's the story we want you to write. Other ways were not quite so neat and clean. We all remember the story of Don Bowles, a reporter that was murdered in the 70s. You see, this was to keep other journalists quiet. You report on the mob, this could happen to you. And that happened a lot. There were lots of cases of newspaper editors being murdered, reporters being murdered, and you certainly know that some reporters got the message. So they did write some glowing, uh, less than unflattering stories about certain mob members and how they were fine, upstanding members of the community and how this person donated this much to this charity and all of that. You know how that goes. Yes, even journalism has had its share of bad people in it. And it's not just here in America. I and mean, if you just look at what happened in Germany uh, during the rise of Hitler, those, German, uh, those journalists over there knew exactly what would happen if they wrote anything negative about the Fuhrer. Well, they wouldn't be around long, right? Exactly. North Korean newspapers published a story that uh, now-deceased leader Kim Jong-il, after taking up golf for the very first 
time, set a world record 38 under in playing golf. That's a record. That's a score of 34. That is 20. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. Some people say he hit five holes in one along the way to that amazing score. And the newspaper said at least 11 or 17 bodyguards looked on as he performed this amazing feat. You see, journalists can be swayed and they can be swayed pretty easily, especially these days. What you are seeing now, I believe one day, if this country, if this world survives many more years, journalists are actually going to look back and think upon our society as one of the most morally bankrupt, corrupt societies that has ever lived on this planet. We are going to make Al Capone and the mob look like choir boys, at least as far as journalism is concerned. You see, journalists no longer want the truth. Now, this really has started happening uh, fairly recently. But let's just go back just uh, let's just go back just a little bit to the Watergate scandal, where you had Woodward and Bernstein breaking the story of the Watergate scandal. That was some journalism. But you see, that was during the time where journalists felt like they had an obligation to investigate wrongdoings by the government. In fact, that's why the media is considered the fourth estate or the fourth power. And it is a check and a balance to the powers that be. That was supposed to be their job. That's why they all of a sudden started becoming high and mighty. The fourth estate, they were the, the like I said, they were the, the, the checks. They were the balances on the other three branches of government. Now, we all know that journalists aren't a branch of government, but that was how much power they had. They could uh, write stories telling us what the Supreme Court was doing. They could write stories telling us what the House and the Senate were doing. And they could write stories telling us what the White House was doing. And they could indeed affect and change policy. And all of that went to their heads pretty quickly. And here recently, we are really seeing it start to ramp up. In fact, when you take a look at how the media has treated Donald Trump versus how the media has treated Joe Biden, oh, the contrast is stark. There was a story. I remember, I remember hearing this story um, that Donald Trump was seen walking down a ramp and he was holding the handrail of this ramp. And the reporter wondered, literally on the air, wondered if Donald Trump had a phobia of stairs. Those words literally came out of her mouth. Does he have a stair phobia? And they pondered this throughout the entire segment. And my head literally exploded all over the floor. That's the way the media is these days. It's no longer journalism. They are no longer the fourth estate. They are completely 100% the public relation arm of the Democrat Party. And you need to be warned. You better not cross them.
You remember Jim Acosta, the never-Trumper reporter who would show up at, at press conferences just to be a general pain in the ass, and he was. And do you remember when Donald Trump tried to get him uh, banned from the White House press briefings? You all remember that. Everyone, everyone in journalism came to Jim Acosta's side. They all rushed to his side. Even the folks at Fox News slammed Donald Trump for doing this. And it was nonstop. They even threatened to go to court over this. So finally, the White House acquiesced and Jim Acosta was uh, right there back in the front row at the press briefings being a general pain in the ass, as he always was. But let's contrast, contrast this to a reporter from Africa, Simon Atiba. Simon Atiba actually has the audacity. Now, he is an African reporter. He is from Africa, the number one newspaper in Africa, and he is stationed um, uh, in, in Washington, D.C. to cover the United States government. Simon Atiba actually asks tough questions. He asks tough questions of Jen Psaki. He asks tough questions of Corrine Jean-Pierre. So how is this black African reporter treated by the White House. He rarely gets called on. He rarely gets called on. And in fact, they tried to ban his press credentials as well. But the strange thing, the strange difference there between Simon Atiba and Jim Acosta is nobody came to Simon Atiba's side. Nobody came to his defense. The Wall Street Journal didn't report op-eds about how horrible it was that Simon Atiba was being shut down by the White House. NBC News didn't run stories on it. MSNBC didn't run stories on it. None of the networks did. In fact, if it wasn't for conservative talk radio, you would have never heard about it. Simon Atiba was, in effect, shadow banned by the Biden White House. And nobody said a word. Why? Because Simon Atiba did not follow the talking points that were given out every single day. And that is all journalists do these days. They all get the memo. They all get the talking points. And they all say, OK, you got it. In fact, it was just a couple of days ago that we found out that the White House sent out a memo to major news outlets. And the White House said that you were to ignore the Republican talks about impeaching Joe Biden. You, they didn't even want you to do fair and balanced stories. So, for example, they didn't want the networks to say, the Republicans say this and the White House says this. No, they didn't want that. Because that would give, in their words, credence to this impeachment inquiry. Since when does the White House get to govern what journalists do? Well, apparently, if you really want to go back, it goes back to the Obama administration. All of these people in Washington, and I mean all of them, Washington and New York, it is such an incestuous little relationship that they have. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's sleeping with each other. Everybody's married to the other's brother or sister or nanny or whoever, whatever it is. They all are in bed 
literally and figuratively together. And they do not want to mess up those relationships. And why not? Who doesn't want to go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Oh, that would be a grand old time. Who doesn't want to go to the big galas in Washington and New York? Who doesn't want to get tickets to the opening of this play or that play or the other? They are all in it together. So, what do we know now? We know that the journalist, quote-unquote, banned... The Hunter Biden laptop story. They would not run it. In fact, all of social media, who is now uh, getting very close to being considered journalist or journalistic houses, they banned anyone from talking about the Hunter Biden laptop story. That was hush hush. You could not mention it. Even even the even the networks wouldn't say anything about this. Not a thing. Hunter Biden sets a plea deal. Nothing absolute crickets. But they went on for over 300 minutes talking about the Donald Trump indictments. Nothing about Hunter, everything about Trump. And now they're not even, just like the White House asked, they're not even running stories about why do the Republicans think they have evidence on Joe Biden? That's not the story. The story is the Republicans have no evidence about Joe Biden. That is all you are hearing. Without evidence, the White House, uh, the, the, the Republicans claim. Without evidence, the Republicans say. Uh, impeachment inquiry. Without evidence. That's all you're hearing from the media. And that was the same thing you heard during the Donald Trump administration. Donald Trump could have gotten on stage one day and said, it's a beautiful day in America. And the headlines in the New York Times would read, Trump says beautiful day in America, raining in Des Moines. But that's the way they do. Everything that Donald Trump said, the headline always read, without evidence, Trump says yada, yada, yada. They're all in it together. And now they're not just going after Donald Trump. Look at how they're covering this story with Lauren Bobart, who got all grabby-feely in a play the other day. Remember that? Oh, they acted like this was the worst thing that ever happened. No, no, no. Don't worry about Hunter Biden and him sleeping with his brother's widow. Don't worry about Hunter Biden and his drugs and prostitutes. Nah, don't worry about that. Nothing to see here. Let's look at Lauren Bobart. Oh, they even published this, this uh, story about Governor Christy Nome. And uh, how she's supposedly having an affair. Okay. And then we get to Russell Brand. Russell Brand is a comedian. He's a British comedian. And I'll tell you what. I never really liked him as a comedian. It just wasn't my style of humor. But he started a vlog, a video uh, podcast, basically. And he is spewing the truth. He is spewing the truth about the vaccines. He is spewing the truth about the World Economic Forum. He is spewing the truth about um, uh, the International Monetary Fund. He's spewing the truth about a lot of things, and he's spewing it about the corruption in government. So what has to be done with Russell Brand, who, by the way, used to be a darling of the left? Oh, the left loved him. He was quite liberal at one time, but now he's making a hell of a lot of sense. So now that Russell Brand is off the plantation and is gone rogue, what has to happen? 
He must be destroyed. And that's exactly what is happening. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, after all of these years of Russell Brand being in movies and on television and, and, and putting on comedy shows, all of a sudden, these women are coming forward claiming rape allegations against Russell Brand because they know that's the one thing, the one thing that they can say that they never have to prove. Merely the allegations can destroy you. And you better not defend yourself. Well, I think Russell Brand is going to defend himself. He has put some, uh, some uh, statements out there. But that is the easiest way. When somebody is doing something you don't like, when somebody is not saying what, when their opinion is not coming out of your mouth, they just don't want to shut you up. They want to destroy you. We will keep watching this Russell Brand story. Because what we are seeing now with our media is the worst it's ever been. This is the Checkpoint Charlie Podcast.